Spirit Catholic Radio, KVSS. We are Catholic Radio for the Christian community. Good morning. Welcome to Spirit Mornings with Bruce McGregor and Chris McGregor. And today, Chris, it is a delight and an honor both to have with us Father Joseph Langford. Uh, Father began his long association with Mother Teresa while studying theology in Rome. In 1983, she invited him to be the co-founder of her priest's community, the Missionaries of Charity Fathers. He resides at the community's mother house in Tijuana, Mexico, and I believe that's where uh, we're connecting with Father today. We're going to be talking to him about a book, a lovely book, Mother Teresa and the Shadow of Our Lady, sharing Mother Teresa's mystical relationship with Mary. Father, good morning. Welcome to the program. Good morning to both of you, Bruce and Chris. Father, it is indeed an honor to speak with you. It is quite a tremendous blessing that you've given us in this book. I have never seen a book that has opened up for us the relationship that Mother Teresa has had and probably still continues to have with Our Lady. Thank you very much. Uh, It's something that people don't tend to realize. They see her, they see the tremendous work she did. They knew of her dedication to God and her obvious time she spent in prayer. Uh, But one of her big secrets of soul was this deep, intimate uh, relationship with Our Lady. It's not devotion. Uh, I've seen a lot of people speak of or ask questions about Mother Teresa's devotion to Our Lady. From what I was able to observe over more than 20 years, and then especially uh, having had part in her the work for her, her uh, cause, going through the documents, and then just in my own conversations with her about this, because she, she would uh, give uh, classes to our, our community when we were starting out on her spirituality, uh, it's a relationship more than a devotion, mm-hmm. something very deep. Mother Teresa was not sentimental. She was an Albanian peasant stock, uh, very concrete, very down to earth. She saw a need. She got. She took care of it. She, she was a mover, um, and her relationship with Our Lady was very practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was functional more than more than devotional, I'd say. And it, it all goes back to uh, a vision that the Lord gave her at the outset of her uh, her call. I think, as most of your listeners will remember. She was teaching geography. She was headmistress for a upper-class girls' school in Calcutta. Uh, Calcutta back then, as now, is home to the very rich and the very poor, and she was teaching these well-to-do girls when on a train ride to uh, her annual retreat in 1946 on September 10th, the day that the Missionaries of Charity still refer to as Inspiration Day, Mm-hmm. She has this very strong experience of the Lord on the train, and then over the ensuing months, Jesus is asking her uh, to leave everything, to go into the slums, and to bring him to the poorest. And in the beginning, even though she's very committed to, to giving her life to Jesus, uh, she's humanly afraid, a little bit like Peter trying to decide whether to get out of the boat and walk on the waves, uh, a lone European woman back then, especially walking the streets of Calcutta without a penny in her pocket, uh, was quite a daunting uh, task. Mm-hmm. And as she's about to undertake this, the Lord gives her this sort of triple tableau of, of, of visions, and the final vision is the most complete. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, in each of the three, Our Lady is the central figure. 
Our Lady shows Mother Teresa in the first vision this great crowd of the poor. She sees nationalities from all of the earth, and they're they're all in darkness. And Our Lady says, uh, "Bring them to me; they are mine, mm-hmm. my children." And then the apparition goes on, and she sees the presence of Jesus crucified in the mix in the midst of them. And here are all the poor of the earth, which is not just the physically poor, but all of us who suffer without the Lord, not knowing that he's there in our pain. Uh, and we're covered in this darkness, and there is the crucified Jesus uh, in our midst. And the only light in this vision is coming down from the heavens, from the Father, and it's around the cross. Mm-hmm. And this great sea of the poor and of those in pain, and all of us, are struggling in this darkness and, and not, not aware. And then finally, in the, in the last uh, of these visions, which ends up being sort of a cameo, a graphic portrayal of the mission she would live the rest of her life, she sees herself as a small child. Now, she's almost 40 years old when this takes place, but she sees herself as a, as a little girl of maybe 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And she's standing in the midst of all these poor who are in the dark and they're reaching their hands out to her in supplication. In the midst of them, in front of her, is Jesus on the cross. But she sees behind her the figure of Our Lady once again. And this time, Our Lady is almost wrapping her in her presence. Mother Jesus sees herself enveloped by Our Lady. And again, she's not sentimental, so this isn't just romantic poetry, mm-hmm. uh, but an indication of Our Lady's role in Mother Teresa's life, but in our life as well, as we make our own journey uh, through the passion that, that we have to share with the Lord. And Mother Teresa sees herself with Our Lady's left hand on her on her shoulder, and her right arm is holding out Mother Teresa's arm toward Jesus and, and toward the poor. So those, those two symbols, or three actually, one of being enveloped by Our Lady, the other of having Our Lady's hand on your shoulder, which indicates support, I'm with you, we're in this together. They're not side by side. Uh, Mother Teresa is standing directly in front of Our Lady. They say almost she's almost being wrapped in her. And the other is that Our Lady's hand is invisibly there, reaching out to her wounded and suffering children through the hand of Mother Teresa, through the hand of you, you and me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she goes on to, to uh, begin to realize that this is the key to doing the impossible, to making it to Calvary, to Calvary uh, is this hidden presence of Our Lady. It's quite remarkable, the description you just gave us, but you also give us that description and more within the book, uh, Mother Teresa and the Shadow of Our Lady. And even on that very, very first page in the book, we are gifted to be able to share in that painting of Mother Teresa's vision of 1947 that hangs at the house of the Missionaries of Charity Fathers. And I've never seen that before. What a remarkable vision. Yes, and then uh, it's not... Again, it's important that people don't think of this as being just for Mother Teresa. She never took it that way. Mm-hmm. She would never have shared it. She was a very uh, very private person when it came to her inner life. Um, and so this for her was something that we were all to, to learn from. The other example that I find there in Scripture is St. Is John. Uh, the one who stands as the lone witness to the greatest moment in, in human and divine history, the crucifixion. 
And the other, the rest of the 12, they're gone for one reason or the other. Mm -hmm. And I remember always thinking before I met Mother Teresa, well, John was just, he was the good boy. He was the one who made it because he always was close to Jesus. And yet it struck me, uh, sort of seeing this, this reliance of Mother Teresa on Our Lady to make it through the darkness, her own personal darkness that's become so celebrated of late, uh, is that at the Last Supper, Jesus tells the Twelve, you're, you're all going to betray me tonight. You're all going to leave me, but I'm never alone. The Father is with me. That means that John, the Beloved, also at some point lost his courage and ran. Mm-hmm. And that all we know is that between that moment in which he ran away and the moment of Calvary, at some point he crossed paths with Our Lady, and she brought him to a fidelity beyond his own. Mm-hmm. Lone witness, as I say, to the greatest gift God ever gave in, in Jesus crucified. And there's a huge lesson there for us, one that Mother Teresa lived in challenges much beyond our own. So we, we look at her and we see her uh, making it alone with uh, 25 cents in her pocket on the streets of Calcutta and counting on Our Lady to, to not just be someone you throw up prayers to, but a, a constant presence in her life, someone to whom she turned all the time. There are always... Wherever you see pictures of Mother Teresa, she has a rosary in her hand. She's fingering a rosary. Obviously, she's not constantly saying, in quotes, the rosary. But as she used to tell us, that it reminds her to be holding on to the hand of Our Lady. As she was in that vision, she did the rest of her life until she, until she died. Uh, and the same for us, like St. John, allowing ourselves to be accompanied by Our Lady on this path to fidelity, on this path to not just Jesus' death and resurrection, but to to our own. I was so surprised, but so happily so, to see the role of Our Lady of Guadalupe in the life of Mother Teresa. Again, I had never known this. And and, uh, I'm not sure how much Mother Teresa ever thought through the connections, um... In any of these things, she lived these experientially and intuitively, uh, but she sensed always that uh, there was a connection between the grace she'd received and Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, before we began our, our community here, we'd started out in the South Bronx. We outgrew the community, and we uh, discerned that we would we would come here to to Mexico. And before we did, before we started the house, uh, she wanted to go and lay everything in Our Lady's feet in Guadalupe, and I. I'd, had a chance to accompany her there twice, and just reflecting on uh, seeing our Mother Teresa there kneeling before the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and then for for us as Americans, at times I think we forget that when these apparitions took place, there were no borders. Mm-hmm. There was no Mexico and Guatemala and the United States and Canada. This was all one land, and she came for us. And the interesting thing that you see in Mother Teresa, you see in Juan Diego, is that this, Our Lady's apparitions in Guadalupe were the first of her interventions in modern times, uh, the first of the public apparitions. And there seems to be a pattern of grace that's established there, a prototype of of relationship with Our Lady that we see with St. John, that we see with uh, Elizabeth in the visitation, this role, this this sustenance, this support that God has given to his people that's uh, prefigured by the column of fire by night and, and cloud by day that accompanies Israel. God doesn't leave us alone 
on this path, and, and the gift he's given to Our Lady is is for all of us. So you see this relationship of real childlike dependence, recourse, accompaniment in little Juan Diego and in Mother Teresa, who sees herself as a child and lives even in her 80s as a child of Our Lady, and something that we ourselves are, are invited to. Um, it's interesting to realize that uh, for the Mexican, for the Aztec, mm-hmm. the tilma that Juan Diego wore and that Our Lady's image was imprinted on miraculously is the symbol of the person. It's the symbol of the soul. So a rich man was, or a noble man was supposed to wear a certain kind of tilma. According to the tilma you wore, people could tell what you did and what class of society you came from. So the fact that this is imprinted on the tilma, it's not just that she needed room to write. It's that this represents her ability to imprint this grace that was given to her in a special way on the soul, that indeed she uh, becomes a mother, she breathes a, a certain life, she shares a certain gift that she has received with each one of us, as she did with uh, with Juan Diego and as she did with Mother Teresa. What I love about the book, Father Langford, so much is that in Mother Teresa and the Shadow of Our Lady, it's not just a historical accounting of Mother Teresa's relationship with Our Lady, but you help us to know how to allow Our Lady to work in our lives as well. And that's something that she did for us, and I only feel that as she's not here now that we need to to pay, pay it forward. Uh what Mother Teresa helped me understand in a, a lived way was the importance of consecration, or as John Paul uh, stressed so well, entrustment. That's exactly what uh, Mother Teresa received for, from, from Our Lady. She taught us that there were three main elements in her spirituality, trust, surrender, and cheerful love. And she found those three in Our Lady the trust of Our Lady at the Annunciation and throughout her life, the surrender that brings her all the way to the cross and yet continues until the resurrection, and that cheerful giving that she saw as she leaves everything and goes to, to serve her cousin Elizabeth, that these really are the attitudes that God was trying to form in Israel from Abraham on. Mm-hmm. What he asks of Abraham as he tells him to sacrifice Isaac, what he asks of Israel as they're led through the desert, it's all this one same set of attitudes, virtues of soul that allow us to receive God's gifts, to be molded by Him and to be filled by Him. And without them, there is nothing. There's there's a sort of a distant uh, trying to imitate a, a pattern of uh, that we can never reach. That we're so frustrated by, like Saint Paul. There's a law in me that by which I, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the one I I want to do, I don't do. This is why we need to step into this environment, because that's what Our Lady was for Mother Teresa, almost like that cloud that came over the meeting tent that sort of sanctifies and purifies and divinizes uh, the space in which we live, the, the, the experience uh, of, of God. We're, we're not alone in that. And so consecration isn't some sort of uh, not very well understood uh, pious practice for those who are who are very holy. Uh, it was a very basic lived reality for St. John as he makes it to Calvary, for Juan Diego 
as he becomes messenger of the gospel to eight million Aztecs who had never heard of, of the love of God, as, as she did for, for Mother Teresa, that it becomes this living, breathing relationship with a presence in our life, not somebody up in heaven who somehow gets our prayers if we're consecrated to her, but someone to whom we entrust all these things. The beautiful image, the reason that there's that, I chose that cover with the rose there that you see, there's an image of Mother Teresa kneeling in prayer. You don't see her face, and that's deliberate because it represents all of us as well. You see her praying the rosary, holding the hand of Our Lady, as it were, and then there's, there's this single rose in, in the foreground. If you recall in the story of Our Lady Guadalupe, Our Lady asks Juan Diego to go to the top of the hill and to collect these Castilian roses growing in the midst of the frost in December at that, that elevation. It's more than a mile high. And the roses represent God's gifts. And it's interesting that, that she doesn't say, go find the roses on the top of the hill and go take them to the bishop. She says, no, go collect the roses up there. Bring them down. Bring them to me. And Our Lady personally arranges those roses in the tilma of Juan Diego that represents his soul and our soul and folds it up protects it and sends him on his way that's what she does with with us we entrust to her the gifts that the father has given us in jesus and in baptism and in our life and she arranges them uh she she places them in their optimal relationship and protects them as she covers up that tilma on which she's placed her own grace that that image that that's there so i think one of the great lessons she has to teach the modern church is one that we saw in John Paul, but perhaps a lot of people didn't understand how to how to put it into practice. And I think in her simple way, Mother Teresa left us this living invitation to live a life entrusted to the Mother of God. I think that's so beautifully said. I think that what you've accomplished so much in this book is you're making us all a Mother Teresa in a sense. That's the point, is that uh, we, we none of us, I always like to tell people that None of us are called to do what Mother Teresa did. Uh, when I was uh, first uh, getting to know about her, I was in another community, and I'd gotten a film, a copy of the first film that was made by the BBC called Something Beautiful for God, and I would show it in different places, Catholic, Protestant, whatever, and people would always, this is back in the, in the late 70s, um, they would just be bursting into tears and moved so deeply, and and. They didn't seem to know what to do with the emotion that, that this stirred up. And I realized I needed to address that because they wanted to just write a check. And, and uh, I said, no, 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 she's not asking for money. Uh, God didn't send a check. He, he gave of himself and, and, and Mother Teresa as well. She's not writing checks to the poor. That, that none of us are called to do what she does. We're not, we don't have to get on a plane and go to Calcutta. We have our own Calcutta where we are. But with the gifts that you and I have, with the contacts that you and I have that no one else in history has had, the people that we can touch that Mother Teresa couldn't touch, that each of us are called to do as she did with our life, and so make of our lives also something beautiful for God. We're to replicate her heart, which in the end she saw as replicating the heart of Our Lady, which is just Israel living its vocation. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, therefore you shall love him with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And it's, it's a secret of transmitting uh, a way of 
living the fullness, the capability of the human heart, modeled after the divine heart. And yes, indeed, we are supposed to be, as Mother Teresa, she would say that there's a, a, a famous episode in her life where she's tending to uh, a dying man in the home for the dying in Calcutta, and he looks up to her and says, he's a Hindu, he says, are, are you like Jesus? Or no, no, he says, excuse me, he says, is Jesus like you? He doesn't know anything about Jesus, but he's experiencing the compassion of Mother Teresa. Is Jesus like you? And she says, well, I, I, I hope so, but I try to be like Jesus. But in fact, she was a transparency for Jesus, as was and is Our Lady, and that's what we are called to do. And I think we tend to think of the missions or, as, or uh, 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 of the kind of life that Mother Teresa lived as being out there, something you contribute to, perhaps at Christmas with, as I say, a donation. And what she would always say is, in your own family, there's someone that needs forgiveness. In your own parish, there's a blind person who, who you can go and sit with and read a book to. Uh, down the street, there's a nursing home to whom no one goes. Uh, Jesus is alone in the tabernacle, and no one is visiting him. That we've been placed, each of us, in our own Calcutta, and we are responsible for it. I am my brother's keeper. And she's taught us how to do that. We are each placed in our own Calcutta. I just think that's very compelling, Father. I notice in the book that you have the four important attitudes of a soul necessary for Our Lady to intervene in our lives so that in our own Calcuttas we're able to see more clearly with the, with the eyes of Christ. And those four attitudes, they seem simple, but yet they're so necessary, aren't they? I mean, just that humility, the first one, the humility, right. the poverty of spirit, the simplicity. And, and, and again, that's, we look at a Mother Teresa and we see her as being materially poor, voluntarily poor with the materially poor. But it goes beyond that. It's that, that, that humility, that, that self-emptying that allows God to be the God of my life rather than the idol of my ego, and that, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, we shall see God even here below, even in Calcutta, even in our dark nights, we shall see God if and belong to him if we allow ourselves to be emptied, and this is what God is doing constantly through our life by, by misfortune, by reversals, uh, by illness, by failing at things, by the, the weaknesses and defects we have. Uh, he's trying to tug away with little threads our attachment to what's not him so that we can empty our hands, not because that's a goal in itself, but hands that are filled can't be filled with him, to let go of all that, that he might fill us with a treasure that's, that's infinitely beyond. And so those attitudes of soul, that humility, that childlikeness, uh, are absolutely essential. And you see what God can do with this one little life this is a you know a 36 year old albanian nun alone in calcutta with no expertise no no resources no political connections and except her poverty of spirit which allows god free reign and she turns the world upside down and is crowned with the nobel peace prize and at the 40th anniversary of the United Nations, uh, I was there that night in New York with, with her, and Paris de Cuellar, the then Secretary General, gets up and says, ladies and gentlemen, I have, you, I have the privilege of presenting to you the most powerful woman on earth. And she was the most interiorly poor. Uh, and so 
so again, we, we, it's so important to not see Mother Teresa as an exception, as someone to applaud and say, oh, thank God she existed, thank God she's on our team, but rather as an invitation, a challenge, but more than a challenge in a negative sense, an invitation to a life that, that is more, more beautiful than, than we could imagine. I think if, if we practice the next step, too, that just that trust and have faith in the presence, the power, and the role of Our Lady in God's mm-hmm. plan, that's really essential, isn't it? And the, the trust then becomes entrustment. The trust then always leads to surrender. There's two sides of, mm-hmm. of that one coin. But it's first to, to accept in faith that, yes, this is a gift God has placed within the Church, and it's one that has always been um, attacked. Satan, as St. James says, knows and trembles. He believes and trembles. Um, any exorcist will tell you that when you're having a tough time uh, getting control of the evil spirits that are, that are present, attacking this individual, that invoking the presence of Our Lady is something he cannot abide. Mm-hmm. I had that experience myself. Um, it, it, in her, to- No one was more empty than she. No one trusted the Father more than she. You just imagine what it was like those three months seeing the agony in Joseph's eyes as he is aware that she's with child, and entrusting that to God to take care of. Uh, this is a, 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 a tremendous lesson for us. And so that, that trust, if we're empty enough to not be counting on ourselves, then the next step then becomes that, that trusting in Him which again, when we speak of faith, and that's the one thing that God asks throughout both Testaments, and we remember that the, the biblical idea of faith is more accurately in English, trust. Uh, it's to confide in, in, in the faith with, that I'm, I'm putting faith with my life. Uh, then we realize how important this is to God, because without that, uh, we're running around in circles like Israel in the desert, and the promised land is just across the street, and all he's asking is, put down your toys, open your hand, not just so I can give you gifts, but so I can lead you with those gifts to the plan I have for you. If you can have that trust, the next step of humble obedience, is it makes it easier, doesn't it, Father, to be obedient? Because then, if we can trust, then that's the surrender of obedience is not being dragged kicking through life by events we can't change and by a God who is able to arrange them as he sees fit and I have no recourse, it becomes a much more peaceful path and frees him to be able to bless us. Again, just take the example of a child that, you know, the father wants to pick that child up and take it to bring him wherever, in the house for, for a meal. If the child doesn't trust the father, he starts kicking and screaming, as we do so often. When God interrupts my plans, I'm immediately presuming that there's something bad awaiting me, and I don't realize that all he's asking is that I trust him, that I allow him to, to carry me. That's, the, that's the, the surrender, the obedience part. And to realize that what's at the end of that path are only blessings. And we really need to have, at least in, in that fourth step, that contemplation. You might be able to trust, and you, you might be able to be obedient, but you know, in today's world, especially in this area, it is, it's hard to take that time to be able to appreciate and to contemplate. 
And this is something that someone as unbelievably busy as Mother Teresa, who was traveling the world constantly, was never, never sitting still. She carved out time, whether it was on an airplane, how, how many times on an airplane, on a 747, uh, sitting next to her, and she realizes, oh, it's 2 o'clock time for her midday prayer, and it's as if the world stops and this 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 presence of God envelops her and she's, she's lost in prayer. Uh, if we're too busy to pray, we're too busy. Mm-hmm. And those who are really busy for the Lord and producing fruit that will last, it's because it's rooted in Him. And that that's the other thing that she teaches us, and that, that obviously our, our Lady helped provide for her, was this peaceful inner space. Uh, that it, This listening to Our Lady and listening with Our Lady. Um, I find it such a help to, for instance, just place... Place yourself in Our Lady's presence, and with her, open the pages of Scripture. That's what we're doing with the Rosary, anyhow, uh, as John Paul wrote in his beautiful um, encyclical, is that we're we're contemplating the great works of God on our behalf through the filter of Our Lady's soul, a soul that knew Him so much more intimately than we, and one who participated directly in that. And so Our Lady is part of this uh, this great adventure of living more contemplatively. And it doesn't require any... We don't have to be Teresa of Avila. Uh, Mother Teresa, from the day that she had that vision in 1947, the lights went out, and everything was in faith, and yet she drew deeply from the wells of contemplation, even in that darkness. And as she did, we can do. Father, there have been several books now out on the life of Mother Teresa, and even books out on Our Lady recently. I can't think of a one that I've held more dear than this wonderful gem that you've given to us in Mother Teresa in the Shadow of Our Lady. Mm-hmm. A truly, I mean, it's a small, smaller, unassuming book. And when I opened it, I thought, okay, well, we'll see how this goes. And I found myself touched to the very depth of my heart. I mean, what a wonderful grace that we have in your work here. I appreciate that uh, so much. Uh, there is there is a depth of simple, practical, livable wisdom in what Mother Teresa lived for all of those years that, that really, I think, can make a difference in people's lives. I've seen it not just in the poor of Calcutta, but uh, in the, the not-so-poor and in the very rich and in the the people who had easy faith and those who struggled with faith or had no faith, uh, what she shows us of the beauty of the kingdom is it's really very attractive, very appealing, very accessible. I mean, she's broken these these things down. These are huge, great concepts. You can read dogmatic treatises on Our Lady or on entrustment to Our Lady or on contemplative life or on biblical history. And yet somehow, just as Our Lady did, Mother Teresa seems to have crystallized all this wisdom and truth and beauty and light in a very, very simple and accessible way. Uh, I've always felt that one day she'll be a doctor of the Church, Mm -hmm. uh, because there is so much depth uh, that goes... uh, I'm working on another book now that will be on another aspect, uh, another secret of her soul that's part of that, that, uh, that last vision. But there, there is so much uh, richness there, 
and I would just invite people to you know to pick pick up the the, the book and things that will come out in the future, because Mother Teresa is not just about you know a nice lady who did very heroic things, and oh now we realize she had a tough time inside her soul as well through the darkness. There is a crystallization of grace in her that is so much like Our Lady uh, that, as I mentioned in the book, that so many people, not just Catholics or Christians, but Hindus and Muslims there in Calcutta, after she died, they all remarked, you know, she reminded us of Mary of Nazareth. She reminded us of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I don't know much about her, but you, you could experience it, it, it was like meeting Our Lady somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that Our Lady might have been, you, you would experience in her. Like the, the semi joke I heard back uh, back when I was studying theology that that uh, when we get to heaven, we're going to look around at the great banquet room of eternal life, and we're going to see Jesus and the apostles and all the big saints there at the table in the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to look around for Our Lady, and we can't find her. And finally, we ask someone, and they say, Oh, Our Lady, yeah, she's in the kitchen doing the dishes. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of humble, uh, hidden gift of self uh, that was Our Lady's life, Mother Teresa's life, and can become our life. So I, I agree, not, not because I had anything with, to do with writing it. I, I couldn't not write it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's such simple wisdom there. I hope your listeners are able to to find even just a bit of the of the uh, the inspiration from my own life that I found in in Mother's example and especially in her relationship to the Mother of us all, which is Our Lady. And I think bringing forward too in this time even more so that the message of Our Lady of Guadalupe. I mm-hmm. again, I think she's been relegated to something that is south of the border and occurred right. hundreds of years ago. And right. I think she's calling. She is calling out to us today. I mean, just in the very depths of how we live in the Americas. I mean, she is calling out to her children today. At least here in North America, there's some sense of her call to protect uh, unborn life, as obviously in her image she's bearing the Christ child within. But yes, there's an entire gospel written in thread um, there in Our Lady of Guadalupe. And that's part of the reason I, I... insisted with the publisher that we we place the uh, sort of an abridged account of the story of, of Guadalupe, not written by some later author, but the first account that was written in the Aztec language at the time of Juan Diego, some short years after his passing, by someone who knew him. Uh, it's called the Nicanopoa in, in Aztec, in Nahuatl language. And it's there, it's very poetic, as the Indian language is, uh, but it just gives you a sense of the freshness and the beauty of this this lyrical uh, interchange, this relationship with one humble soul and the Queen of Heaven uh, that we're all invited to share in, as Mother Teresa herself did. Mm. Mm. Just beautiful. Yeah. I've been oh. talking this morning with Father Joseph Langford, author of Mother Teresa in the Shadow of Our Lady, sharing Mother Teresa's mystical relationship with Mary. And again, uh, just an absolutely beautiful book. And of course, uh, Father, the co-founder of Mother Teresa's Priest Community, the Missionaries of the Charity Fathers. And uh, Father, before we uh, wrap up today, uh, any final or closing thoughts? Well, just again, an invitation uh, to look deeper into the gift that we have 
uh, in a Mother Teresa, that to not just see her as someone who was off doing good in Calcutta, but as a perhaps a pattern of grace that God has lifted up before the world uh, that we might see in the night that we have to walk through, the darkness we have to walk through. Uh, the other thing is to invite your listeners, because there is so much negative pub- publicity and confusion with the uh, articles in some of the secular journals around Mother Teresa's darkness, that this is the first book to appear since that controversy and the first one to really address it and to offer a very different vision of what Mother Teresa went through. So I just might ask your audience not just to look at it for themselves, but to spread the word about the book as a way to counter the secular press using Mother Teresa as a kind of a a poster girl for doubt in an age where doubt is becoming more the norm. Yeah, Yeah, and and I think that is a shame of biblical proportion on the parts of those people using that and doing that with with what she experienced, because actually it was just the sign of her sanctity. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Father, before you leave, could we ask you to impart your blessing upon us and our listeners? Sure. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, through the prayers of the Virgin Mary, our Mother, we ask that you shed your light upon us, that you open our heart as you did the heart of the Virgin Mary, to receive the fullness of your gifts, your peace, your love, your presence. We ask that Mother Teresa be a big sister to us as on our own journey here on this, on this earth, that we one day might stand together with her and with Our Lady to contemplate you face to face. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Father Joseph Langford, thank you so much for being with us. God bless you, Father. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Father. Bye-bye.